Hey ladies, and welcome to this week's episode. Today I'm talking about something that is so important for so many women. I hear about it all the time in my office, and that is thinning hair or hair loss that seems to be much more common around the time of midlife. So I'm gonna break it down into the most common categories because there's so many reasons for hair loss. And the most important thing, of course, is to diagnose which type you have so we can dictate the best course of treatment. So broadly, I divide hair loss into several categories. The first one would be just genetic and aging. You know, men have what we know as male pattern baldness, right? Where they lose hair, first of all, on the crown and then on top, and it has a particular pattern. And we know it occurs more in some families than others. It's certainly genetic. Um, if you have a guy who's lucky enough to have a dad and grandfather with a full head of hair, probably he's gonna have the same and vice versa. And something similar does happen in women. We call it female pattern baldness, although I don't really like that term because it doesn't result in baldness, but that thinning hair that just runs in some families. And it usually starts being noticed as just a receding hairline at the crown and then a, a widening of the center part. So a lot of women notice just a bigger white line in the middle and a general thinning all over. And actually in that particular pattern, uh, the hairs actually become individually finer as well as the number of hair follicles becoming fewer over time. So rarely do we see these women go bald. If you look at an older woman in such a family, she's gonna have just really thin hair. And so if you're, 35, 45, and you have that in your family, likely you might have that too. Well, the good news is there is a host of things we can do about that if it's in that genetic slash aging type of hair loss. And for any of us, even if we don't have that particular genetic predisposition, the number of hair follicles that we have is maximum around age 30, and it does decrease a little bit with time, even in the best of circumstances. So that's the first category. The second category is what we call alopecia, which is actual bald spots, different than just having thinning hair all over. Patients with alopecia may have complete baldness. Uh, we know the famous uh, Jada, Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife, uh, recently became very well known for having alopecia. She has no hair at all on her head, and she's displaying that proudly, which is wonderful. But it may be something a little bit less significant, just bald patches where areas of the hair will be completely bald and hair will be growing just fine otherwise. Patients with alopecia might lose their eyebrows, eyelashes, all of their hair. And that one's a little bit different. That's an autoimmune condition, meaning one of the many conditions that we can get that are caused by an antibody produced by our own body, which gets a mixed signal and starts attacking our own body instead of the foreign invaders that the immune system was designed to attack. So autoimmune conditions, we're gonna put that a little to the side because that's not most of what I hear about in my office. However, if we did see you, if I saw you and you had rather than just thinning hair, if you had actual bald spots, 
Then we would refer you to a dermatologist. You'd be treated often with steroids or other medications. And I also recommend if you do have this condition, seeing a functional medicine doctor. You know, there's fewer than a thousand fully trained functional medicine doctors in the United States. It's a very small specialty, but it's an incredible specialty that really looks at getting to the root cause of why things are happening rather than just treating with medication. And autoimmune conditions in general, and there are very many of them, just to name a few, like Hashimoto's thyroiditis, the most common cause of low thyroid. We all know about lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's syndrome, there's so many of them, and alopecia is another one, frequently have a large amount to do with our gut health. So just throwing that out there, and that's a whole talk for another day, but autoimmune conditions are very much affected by what we eat, And so seeing a functional medicine doctor and getting off all the inflammatory foods, gluten number one, sometimes dairy, a whole bunch of others, in addition to the treatment that you're receiving is going to be a great idea. So I'm not going to talk too much about alopecia because most of what we see in our patients who are coming in in midlife with thinning hair is not in that category, but it's good to be aware that it exists just for your education. The third category I'll just generally call thinning hair all over, loss of hair all over. So often you're combing your hair and more hair is coming out than usual. You know, in a normal day we lose, you know, around 100 to 150 hairs. And that's normal because we're constantly growing new hair, constantly losing hair, and that should balance out. But sometimes we might see more hair in that hairbrush and it can be pretty alarming, like handfuls of hair in the sink or whole hairbrush full of hair. And boy, is that scary. And I could tell you, as a patient, I went through that uh, several months postpartum, which is a very common time to do it. And even having been a physician who'd been counseling patients about this for years, it was really scary. In my mind, I knew what it was, and I knew all my hair wouldn't fall out. But it's just an alarming thing to see your hair coming out and wondering, oh, my God, am I going to go bald? Very, very scary. So I want to honor how scary that can be. And just to let you know, I've been there, I understand, and there are treatments for it. So I'm going to divide that further, just the hair coming out too quickly into a couple of categories. There's so many, and I'm trying to narrow it down a little bit just to help us to kind of understand the whole picture. Uh, But one of them is a rather acute period of hair loss, like what I had postpartum. Had a bunch of hair come out over a few weeks, and then it got better. That one's got a fancy name called telogen effluvium, and I'm going to talk to you a lot about that. The second uh, type that would fall into this category would be more of a chronic hair loss, where a lot of hair is coming out, and it's not an acute thing. It just keeps on going, and that would be more likely to be associated with nutritional deficiencies or hormonal imbalances, particularly thyroid. We'll talk about that one. And it keeps going unless that problem is treated. So so that one is even, they're all important, but that one's really important to get to the bottom of what's causing it because if we treat what's causing it, get to the root cause, then we can address it. So those are the categories. So let's dig into them one by one. So we're going to start with the genetic 
one. Just the aging, genetic, okay, I've got it in my family. My ponytail's just getting thinner. I'm not really noticing hair falling out so much. Just I've noticed and my hairstylist has noticed my hair is just not as thick as it used to be. Maybe I gotta do some more fancy stuff with my hairstyle hairspray to make my hair look thicker. That's just a bit depressing. You know, we all have different genes and some of them are great and some of them are not. But if we have that gene, there's still things that we can do to improve the quality of our hair. Uh, so what can we do? Um, I am a big fan of a couple of products. And actually, we're going to talk about this in relationship to both major kinds of hair loss. Uh, most of us have heard of a medication called minoxidil or Rogaine. You can even get it over the counter now. It's available as a shampoo or just as a liquid that you put on your head. And this has been around for a long time, it's been proven in many, many studies to help hair growth, even in that genetic kind of hair loss or hair thinning, and certainly in the telogen effluvium type that we'll talk about later. So the way that medication works is that primarily it dilates the blood vessels and the follicles of our hair, bringing in more blood flow and nutrition, just like if you watered a plant, making the hair healthier. It works really, really well in combination with a second medication called Propecia. There's other names for it, but Propecia is uh, one of the brand names. Now you might've heard of this as a drug that's used for men who are losing hair, and it's actually a very good drug for men who are losing hair, also known as finasteride. You might recognize it by that name. Interestingly, it was originally a drug that was used to treat prostate enlargement for men, but a secondary effect was it helped with hair growth on their head. And so, wow, so now it's used for that reason and recently has been shown to also be effective for women, of course, in different dosages, but it works on a different pathway. So minoxidil and Propecia or finasteride together, we have found to be so effective in our practice, we use it frequently. In fact, many of my staff take it, works really well because the Propecia or finasteride uh, part of the combination, maybe too much information, but I'll briefly tell you, works by uh, reducing an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase, which slows down the production of a hormone called dihydrotestosterone. So lots of scientific stuff, but it works on a hormonal pathway. So some of us have more of that enzyme than others, and that may be why we see some male families losing more hair than others. But it, by inhibiting that enzyme, it reduces the DHT, dihydrotestosterone, which is the hormone that's largely responsible for that genetic type of hair loss. So now you know more about hair science than most of your doctors, but those two things together work really well. So where do you get that? Well, we get it made by a compounding pharmacy. Uh, now we're in Houston, we have a compounding pharmacy in Austin that makes it for us. I'm sure you can find one locally if you don't live here, uh, but combination of minoxidil, propecia, and they also put in some biotin. I'm gonna address biotin later, but those three together can be taken by mouth. And the great thing about that is then you don't have to be sticking stuff on your head. It's, it's hard to use Rogaine every single day topically because you've got to use it in a shampoo or a tonic and it's, not, it's just hard. So it's just a great idea to throw it all in something you can take by mouth. And does it work overnight? No, because hair takes a long time to grow, doesn't it? So if you started taking a product like this, you'd notice a difference after about three months. 
you know, three to six months, but three months you'll start noticing a difference. And we've had lots and lots of patients who have, after about three months, noticed a whole bunch of regrowth, so such that they've had to get a new haircut. That actually happened to me too when a lot of my hair fell out postpartum. I had to get bangs because I had so much new hair growth. So uh, worst case scenario, you might need to get a new haircut because you'll have lots of thick hair at the top and then of course your thinner hair at the bottom. And uh, one thing to know about uh, taking minoxidil is that a small fraction of patients will have a temporary, you know, three, four weeks of a little bit of extra shedding of hair, which can seem alarming. And I'll explain why in a minute when we talk about this telogen effluvium thing. So I'll just hold that little piece till then. But if you do take this product, occasionally, really no side effects other than occasionally we will see an increase in shedding of hair, just a little bit more hair shedding than you were before for the first three to four weeks before the hair gets into that growth phase. So uh, it doesn't happen overnight, but it is very effective. So that's a little bit about how to address the genetic type of hair growth. And then of course you can uh, look at my good friend Dominique Sachs' website and learn all about the ways to make thin hair look thicker with products, hair color, hairstyles, things like that. She's got lots of great information on her YouTube channel about how to deal with just the beauty aspect of having thinner hair. So I'm going to skip alopecia because I already talked enough about it and that's not what most most patients present with. And I'm gonna move on to these categories of just too much hair coming out in the hairbrush. So as I've mentioned, the most common type that we see is called telogen effluvium. And what is that? That's the type that I had postpartum. So just to learn a little bit about your hair, our hair is in one of four states at any time. There's four states that our hair might be in and they've got fancy names. There's a growth state, there's a resting state, there's a kind of in-between state, and then there's a falling out state. And most of our hair is usually in the growth state. Then it goes into the middle phase, resting phase, and then falls out. And usually, as I mentioned, we lose about 100 to 150 hairs a day. And all of that happens without us really noticing because most of it's in the growth phase. Growth phase can last for years, uh, you know, some people can grow hair for, you know, six or eight years before the growth phase ends, and that varies based on the person. But most of the hair is usually in the growth phase. Well, sometimes a sudden event happens that pushes more of our hair into what's called the telogen or resting phase. So if more of our hair is pushed into the telogen or resting phase, and sometimes it can be 30 to 50% of our hair, guess what the next phase is? Now that telogen phase lasts about three months. The next phase is the falling out phase. So if one of these events, and very common ones are childbirth, like what happened to me, or any sudden change in hormones like menopause, or sometimes even starting on birth control pills or getting off them, occasionally even starting on hormone replacement, although we very rarely see that. Sometimes a a physically stressful event like a major surgery, getting cancer, not talking about the chemotherapy, but actually the stress of having cancer, having an accident, an emotional stress, loss of a loved one, divorce, sudden weight loss, or even in patients who have bariatric surgery, you know, planned very quick weight loss, 
anything you can think of that is a major you know, short-term stressor to your body that just shifts your body very rapidly can push more of the hair than usual into this resting phase and then it'll stay there for three to four months and then a lot of hair will fall out. Well, luckily, it's usually only, it's not more than 50%. 30 to 50% of our hair will fall out within a few weeks, which is very, very scary. And many, many patients go through this about three or four months after they have a baby or three or four months after they stop breastfeeding. Now, most of my patients are not recently postpartum. But many of them are going through menopause. So sometimes this telogen effluvium situation happens when we have a sudden drop on our hormones, especially if we go through something like surgical menopause where our hormones literally go overnight. So if you are in that type of situation where you're losing lots of hair, your hairbrush is full of hair, you're freaking out, which I was too, one of the most important things is to get some history about what has happened about three months ago and see if something acute happened that could be causing it. The good news about telogen effluvium is very, very rarely does it last very long. Usually the hair loss is for three to six weeks and that seems like a really long time when it's your hair coming out because that felt like an eternity to me. And then after the end of that period of time, the hair will go back into the next phase, which is the growth phase, and you'll start seeing it and a lot more than usual new hairs around our hairline, especially lots of little short hairs growing, and that's a relief, but you might need to get a new haircut, and that's okay. So good news about telogen effluvium, usually we can isolate the cause. You know, we can't change it, it was in the past, but if we can isolate the cause, then we can tell you that's what it is, and then we can reassure you that it's going to get better. And in the meantime, we don't want to just ignore you. Going back to the product I mentioned before, patients do really well with that same combination, the minoxidil Propecia combo, because it can help accelerate getting the hair into that growth phase more quickly so we don't have to wait so long because waiting is really hard. I hate waiting for my hair to grow back if it falls out. Nobody likes that. So... That's a little bit about telogen effluvium, and uh, that is very, very common. Um, menopause is a, not an uncommon cause. And then let's shift a little bit to the, we're still talking about, you know, your hair's coming out, you're losing hair in your hairbrush, and we don't know why, but you come in, we do your history, and look at your hair very carefully, and talk to you about what's been going on recently. Not so much an acute event, can't really isolate anything. And then we draw some blood and very commonly our thyroid is low. That is the single most common reason for having just shedding more hair than usual, thinning all over, and will be associated with a host of other symptoms usually. Uh, not only hair, but our skin gets very dry, peely, our nails get thin and cracked because of course hair, skin, and nails are all made out of the same thing, a protein called keratin. So generally all three are affected, as well as a whole host of other symptoms. You can look on Google for the symptoms of low thyroid, but they range from what we've just talked about to cold hands and feet, weight gain, constipation, loss of the outer edge of our eyebrows, joint pain, so many things. So I urge you, if you're getting your hormones checked to see what's causing your hair loss, make sure that your provider checks your thyroid in detail. 
And by that, I mean not just the high-level screening test for low thyroid, which is called a TSH, or thyroid-stimulating hormone, but actually do that. And then also look at the free levels of the two hormones that our thyroid makes. They're called T3 and T4. It's really important to check the free levels of your T3 and T4 because sometimes TSH can be normal and we can have a low, particularly T3. And that's a topic for a whole nother conversation, but just to know that T4 is minimally active in our system and T3 is the most active hormone. So it's not uncommon for patients to have a normal T4 and a low T3. There's actually an enzyme that converts T4 into T3, and sometimes that enzyme doesn't work very well. So it's really critical to know those values because so many patients will go to the doctor with a host of symptoms of low thyroid, including hair loss, perhaps, and all kinds of other stuff. And the doctor checks a TSH, thyroid-stimulating hormone, says, oh, your thyroid's fine. They might even check a T4 and say, no, your thyroid's fine. But they're missing a part, which is the T3. And it's also important to check to see if you have an anti-thyroid antibody. That's, we mentioned earlier, disease called Hashimoto's, which is extraordinarily common. I have a little bit of that antibody. About 50% of women will develop that antibody as we age, and it's usually after 50, so around the time of menopause. It's just our bodies start to get a little wonky as far as what our immune system is up to. So really important to check that if you have hair loss because the treatment for that would not only be what we've already been talking about, but also treating your thyroid with thyroid medication, diet, we know gluten is really bad for the thyroid. We know the thyroid ne needs certain nutrients like iron, selenium, zinc. So that would be a whole treatment plan that would be unique for a patient with low thyroid. So other things that could cause this kind of just slow chronic loss of hair other than low thyroid, sometimes, rarely, it's if our testosterone's too high, and I do see that in some patients who are being treated with testosterone somewhere else because we don't get your testosterone too high. In my practice, it's critical not to do that. Uh, but if you had very, very high testosterone, you would get more of that DHT hormone, and you could experience hair loss in a male pattern. We don't want that. So um, those are some very important hormones to check. And then nutrition also is critical. If you look at a... Uh, patient population who is starving, like in some uh, third world countries or even in war-torn countries like in the Ukraine where people are not getting adequate protein. Uh, we see hair loss as a result of inadequate protein intake frequently. Um, very, very common. So nutrition is really important. And some of the specific nutrients that are associated with hair loss include biotin, which are I mentioned, and that's one of the B vitamins. It's actually vitamin B7. It's critical in the pathway that leads to keratin being built. So that's why a lot of products have biotin in them. Now, the jury's still out on whether taking biotin helps if you're not deficient in biotin as far as hair loss. So if you're losing hair, mm, we don't really know if taking biotin is going to help unless you're actually deficient in biotin. But if you just have that genetic type of 
you know, thinning hair all over, thinner ponytail. There are some studies showing biotin does that help does help with that even if you're not deficient in biotin. So you'll see lots of products out there. Nutrafol, N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, very high in uh, biotin, or people can just take biotin, or it's put in that compounded product that I mentioned. Uh, so worth a try. Uh, you can certainly check your levels to see if you're low or not. Um, iron, really important. So checking not just your your hemoglobin, which is the classic way that we check your iron count, your blood count, as doctors might say, whether you're anemic or not. You may not be anemic, but you could have a very low amount of stored iron in your body. That's called ferritin. So we always check ferritin because if you've got very low ferritin stores, that can exacerbate hair loss. So taking some iron in those patients would be really important. Also zinc. Zinc's good for lots of stuff. We know it's good for immune support. It's also really important for our hair. So those are some really common nutrients that can be related to hair loss. Biotin, iron, zinc, protein in general, because keratin is a protein. So uh, making sure your, your diet is rich in protein if you are fortunate enough to be able to do that and you don't live in a country where you're starving. In that case, probably hair loss wouldn't be your biggest concern. <laughs> However, we're so privileged that we can even sit and worry about things like hair loss. So um, how do we go about this? Now, if you have hair loss, what you need to do, in my opinion, is see somebody who has time to spend with you and talk to you about all those very important parts of your medical history. We can't do a hair loss visit by Zoom because we need to actually look at your head and we need to look and see if you have ball patches, if you've got a wider center part, how thin each hair follicle is, all of the elements of the quality of your hair to determine what's going on. We also need to be able to draw your blood, check the hormones that I mentioned, and make sure that we're offering the appropriate treatment. So I also wanna just do another little plug for platelet-rich plasma, and we talked about that recently in regards to treating the clitoris. And if you listen to that, you'll already know that platelet-rich plasma is your own blood, so if we were collecting platelet-rich plasma for treating hair loss, which is a very common treatment for hair loss, and it does work really well in most cases, and I'll talk to you about which ones in a second, but we draw your blood. It's spun down in such a way that we get, uh, we draw 20 cc's of blood, we get about half that much of the PRP, all the red and white cells are removed, so you've got just the plasma that's very densely rich in platelets. And most of you know by now, because you've already heard that wherever PRP, platelet-rich plasma, wherever PRP is injected, there's a very complex uh, cascade of events that happens where the platelets aggregate, our own growth factors come in, and our own body's stem cells start creating whatever belonged in that area. It's just a miracle and magic and humans just are miraculous in that way. But if we inject it in your scalp, you will grow new hair. If we inject it in an orthopedic injury, it will heal more quickly. If we, in, if we inject it uh, or place it on wounded skin, like a burn victim, for example, they will grow the skin back more quickly. So it's just an incredible resource and it's your own blood. So it's safe. So when we're using it to treat thinning hair or hair loss, it's injected with a teeny tiny needle, like a Botox needle or even an insulin needle into the scalp. Um, in tiny little doses, about a centimeter, half an inch apart, in a grid pattern over the area that is thinning. 
Um, we can use nitrous oxide if you're scared of needles. Uh, we can use topical local anesthetic. I promise it's really not that painful, but having about 100 injections in your head does make some people scared, but we've got ways to deal with that. Again, it takes a few months to see a change with PRP, and we do three treatments a month apart and see really great results if there are living hair follicles still there. So this will not work if you're a man with a shiny bald head or if you have patches of baldness, so it's not a treatment for alopecia, but just for that genetic generalized thinning of hair or any other form of hair loss. It can be a great adjunct to whatever else we're doing. The key, of course, is not just to throw things at you like PRP or medicines, but to find the root cause. So we've got to find the root cause, fix it, whatever it is that's missing or whatever hormone deficiency is going on. Now, if it was a sudden event that happened in the past, we can't change that, but at least we can understand that's what's going on. And then move forward with whatever treatment that we recommend. So broadly covered the most common reasons for thinning hair or hair loss, and I hope that helped. These are uh, all things that we offer at Complete Midlife Wellness Center. So if you wanna come talk to us in person, you can see how to find us below, completemidlifewellnesscenter.com. And if you have a question that you would like to ask me, to be considered to ask me live on the Ask Dr. Susan portion of this show, you can submit the question to drsusan.com ask, and then we will consider your question to ask live on a future show. So if you learned something today, uh, please don't forget to subscribe, share it with your friends. We'd love to hear your comments about what you thought about this show or what you'd like to hear in future shows about midlife wellness. And I can't wait to see you next week.